Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil. I uh, hope you're well, and if you're not, you might feel better after today's episode, because I love it when a friend comes onto this podcast. I know I always say that. I mean, I love everyone who comes on this podcast, but when a close buddy of mine, who normally I have these conversations with over FaceTime, honours me with their presence on this podcast, it really makes my day. And Phoebe Robinson is someone who I'm so grateful to be friends with because she's just such a rare find in an industry that is really sharky waters and full of people who aren't grounded a lot of the time or who aren't kind a lot of the time or who don't have other women's back in particular. And I think specifically women of colour, be them brown or black or like wherever they're from, like in particular are made to feel like you have to compete with each other because there's only one spot for any one ethnicity in kind of all white spaces. It it can make a lot of people turn against each other. And thankfully, post Me Too, we're seeing less and less of that. But she was like one of my first friends in this business and and someone who just was so instantly kind and open and not suspicious. And she's one of my favorite writers. I have all of her books and her newest book, Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, is a welcome addition to that collection, arguably. In fact, I think this is generally considered that it's her best book so far. Uh, It's such an excellent read. It's, It's easy whilst being hard hitting, like it really ticks all of the boxes for what you could want in a read. And I have enjoyed going to bed every night reading this book and and learning more about her ever-changing perspective. I love the fact that these books have kind of documented her way through her 20s and 30s. And now we find her almost 37 and where she's at now emotionally covering all kinds of different topics, you know, um, and she wrote this during the pandemic. So she covers a lot of, you know, last year, but in a way that feels insightful, not like it's dragging us backwards. She talks about not wanting to have kids. And that's something that we talk a lot about in this podcast, of course, because, you know, by now, you know how I feel and how I'm just always teetering on the edge of this conversation. And I just want to have it more and more with people who will disrupt the constant tidal wave of of pressure to have children. It's just always so illuminating to me, especially when I have a woman want to have that conversation with me really openly and honestly. She talks about being a boss in this book and running your own business. She talks about quarantining with your with your boyfriend. She talks about traveling as a black woman. She talks about self-care and 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 white saviors. That's again something that we talk about a lot in this episode. It's a great book and I asked her to come on so we could talk about some of those subjects uh, for all of you 
to see if maybe you'll want to go out and buy that book and to see if you'll fall in love with her as much as I am. Um, she really is the best. She's so unique and warm. And I hope you enjoy her time on this podcast as much as you did the last time she came on. If you haven't heard it, you definitely should because it's another excellent episode. But for now, this is my good friend and one of my favourite writers and comedy voices and humans, Phoebe Robinson. She's my favourite. She's my queen. She's my friend, Phoebe Robinson. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you for coming back. Everyone loved it the last time you came here. And the last no time you were here... Everyone listened. Come everyone on. Everyone listened. Um, not to <laughs> brag, but we are about to hit 10 million downloads on this podcast. So we're wow. all... Yeah. And all of those people, I believe, are your fans. Oh, well, yes, I have 10 million fans. <laughs> you know, um, last time you were here, you were in the middle of writing a book. That book is now coming out and it is called Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes. The single greatest title maybe uh, that you've ever written, but maybe anyone's ever written. Uh, this book is your, in my opinion, as a big fan of your books, we met because of your book, because you mm-hmm. asked me to come on and interview you about it on stage at Largo, a highlight of my life uh, and where we fell in love. Um, But this, in my opinion, is your best book so far. Same. I feel the same way. Yeah. It's just like there's just so much. I mean, I've loved all of your books, but it's really fun to grow up alongside you and watch you grow as we're all growing. And uh, and it's just so it's so funny. But also I feel like takes more of a stab in the heart mm, I feel and I and I don't mean mm-hmm. that in any kind of bad way but I feel as though there were you've, you've never pulled any punches but this felt like it was delivered sometimes in just such an arresting way that it just kind of got into my bones and uh, I really loved that about this book and then kind of giving us the levity of comic relief and then another really big important serious mm. point it was just it's just great well done how you feeling oh thank you <laughs> Oh, God. I forgot about your English accent. (laughs) Oh, the bane of my existence. (laughs) It just hasn't improved. It's been three years. You've been living in quarantine with an Englishman. Like, how has it not improved? It hasn't got better. Not at all. Okay, so it's no, it's no, it's all. It's fractionally better, but for someone as talented as you to still not have picked this up is outra- it's, it's, a, it's outrageous, frankly. Um, but thankfully, you're good at other things. Many, yes. many other things. Like uh, writing books. I'm much better like at Like writing books. Um, um, so yeah, this is my third book and I feel it's, I feel it's my best one too because I think, you know, as you get older, the th- you have more... You have better access to language to truly pinpoint exactly what you're thinking and feeling and put it down the page. Um, And so I think, you know, being in my mid 30s, I'm going to, you know, I'm 36, about to be 37. I think I'm just in a place where. You know, I could just freely talk about certain things such as my decision to be voluntarily child free um, and also writing a book during quarantine. I really 
I don't say I, like I had like undivided attention because I certainly didn't. It was a pan a pandemic that we're all still living through. But I think writing a book where you you are so constantly alone with your thoughts in a way that you aren't when you're out bopping around, going from jobs, going hanging with your bae, going out to, you know, events, dinner and all that stuff. It just allowed me to sort of have like an unfiltered what's in my brain is now going on directly on the page without like the distraction and the bullshit. A hundred percent. And I, I and also yeah. like, you know, I think there is a feeling in some people about not wanting to read about the quarantine, not wanting to watch TV mm-hmm. about the quarantine, like people who want to escape it. But I feel as though the way you wrote about it didn't make me feel like I was pulled back there. It just felt incredibly relatable and funny and kind of, I don't know, it felt like a very welcome time capsule of what we just went through. In particular, some of your quarantining with your boyfriend stories, <laughs> uh, which I would like to jump into quite soon, please. Um, yes. Because... <laughs> Because you did shot, you yeah. did shot, Phoebe. Um, yeah, I shit myself. We need, we need to. Yeah, you shot yourself. <laughs> um, how was it overall? How was uh, quarantining with your wonderful boyfriend? Yeah, my beloved boyfriend, British Bake Off, as I affectionately call him. You know, it was. It was just so different because, you know, he works in music. Your bae works in music, is a musician, I should say. Not works in music, is a musician. Um, Same thing. And, but, you know, I mean, my boyfriend's behind the scenes. But it's just sort of like you're apart a lot. And then you're not doing that and you're at home every day. And, you know, that's sort of like the most amount of time he and I have ever spent together. Um, of course, like all the like kind of like funny quirks come out, but also sort of things where you're like, oh, this is kind of how I am. And I didn't realize, you know, like I have these annoying things about me or, or like I'm stressed out about quarantining and I'm acting in a certain way. That's like not the perfect me that was before when we were traveling all the time and then reuniting, you know, I think, you know, <laughs> I am <laughs> my poor boyfriend. <laughs> it's just like. I like to work with mostly like peace and quiet. Like I'll listen to a little bit of music, but I really like to not have like distractions around. And, you know, I I like to work a lot. So I'll work for a very long stretches period of time. And, you know, my boyfriend will be like, he'll like come into the kitchen. And so the backstory is we live in an apartment um, and it's, you know, tight quarters. So like the dining room table turned into my desk. So I literally was working next to the kit between the kitchen and the living room couch. And so he would like come in and like want to chat and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, I'm writing. Leave me alone. Like I was just very much like you're uh, disrupting my artistic, like sort of bubble and not really realizing, well, you know, we are in an apartment for the unforeseeable future and he wants to like spend time with me and like he doesn't care that I've like am in this like artistic bubble right now he like wants his girlfriend so I think just sort of like having to just be a little less type a about my scheduling and just sort of allowing like breaks to happen and not have it feel like this is a major disruption to my life and just sort of be like well we have to just like figure it out and be together and he's gonna need me at certain times and I'm gonna need him at certain times I can't just like structure my day like that that's not going to be the case if that makes yeah. sense i don't know if that makes sense or not it makes it makes sense it makes complete sense um I'm trying to reflect on what it was like for me and james we were 
we were okay for the majority of it. Things started to come apart probably in about December where it was just homo- homicidal like nation <laughs> between the two of us. Uh, but I think that's important. I mean, it'd been nine months of like two very lazy people raising a puppy who was very demanding and very, oh, very energetic. Old. And uh, he was writing an album. I was making all these TV shows and everything else. So it was just like, it became slightly stressful for both of us mm-hmm. by the ver- by the sort of like the end of the first big lockdown last year. But other than that, we were generally okay, apart from the fact that he just discovered what a slob I really am. Because you see, when he's away on tour, I used to yeah. love that because I could just slob mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. big time like big single person behavior time and I yeah. loved it like I you know I missed him but I also liked missing him and yeah. I liked being fucking filthy like fucking yeah. fi- like fucking filthy and <laughs> then he would uh then he'd come back and I'd quickly clean myself up yeah and uh <laughs> and then he would never know he'd be none the wiser but there was no way that that was not sus- it was just simply not sustainable uh, yeah. And so I think he got to like feel my real teenage dirtbag, mm-hmm. and I think that that was a that was, that was he was very nice about it, but he did stage an intervention by about June. He was like, "Yeah, this is fine. You're fine. I love you as you are. But are you going to wear that skeleton T-shirt every day of the <laughs> pandemic? Because <laughs> it looks like this is going to last long beyond July." And yeah. uh, I'm just one, I'm just wondering, I'm just checking in <laughs> and it was covered in food, like covered in donuts. Yeah. Um, just filthy rank. Yeah. I'm so sorry, James. <laughs> I was, I was just, I am the slob between the two of us. And now that my boyfriend's back on the road and, um, we're, we're selling this apartment because we're moving to just go rent and have bigger space. And, where the apartment is staged so we can have people come by. So I literally have to like, you know, every every night before I go to bed, I spend like 30 minutes like tidying up, cleaning everything up. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is what he does. I have to like every day I have to make sure all, all the dishes are put away and I have to make sure, you know, I leave. I My favorite thing are um, cough drops. So I just have these wrappers like I would just leave them like all over the apartment <laughs> I'm like trying to not eat in bed anymore because I'm a bed eater and then I get crumbs everywhere. So I'm like, I am having to be very neat and tidy. And I will also say the other thing about quarantining with Bay was, I don't know if this is like a guy thing. I don't want to generalize, but he's really into war movies like and like <laughs> that is a thing yeah. so is james also like He's, anything on a like naval bay like old like old ship shit like he loves anything on an old ship yes and so drives me crazy <laughs> early on in quarantine i'd be like riding in the you know on the uh, on my on the on the kitchen table he'd be in our our bedroom and like literally like nine in the morning he's like turning on band of brothers and I just hear <gasps> and I'm like I'm like do you do you want to turn that down just to she he was like I love this show so much and I'm like why why do you care so much about and now his favorite thing is to watch NCIS like he's into like naval crime oh, wow. and I'm like <laughs> He like just started watching NCIS 
two weeks ago. And I'm like, there are 19 seasons. And he's like, I'm just, I'm going to plow through. I'm just going to watch them all. And I was I'm like, actually gonna t- I'm going to tell James to do the same because he's looking for something while he's on tour. So thank you for that. That's very helpful. They love that shit. Anyway, um, tell me how, tell me about when you shit your pants. So, you know, let's get into it. Uh, Well, you know, I write about this in the book, so I'll do like the shorter version of it. But, you know, we've been quarantined together for a while. We were we really had a phase where we were just baking a lot of cakes. We were making a lot of cookies, making a lot of pies. We would FaceTime while you were cooking, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of butter. A lot of butter, not just like, oh, I have one slice. It'll be like, let's, ha-, you know, eat half a cake. And so <laughs> I think we made like like Duncan Hines, like three layer red velvet cake, which is like, it's fucking wild. And we had gotten some pho. So I had like, as an amuse-bouche, I had a slice of this cake. Um, and then I had the pho. And then um, I had another slice of cake for dinner, uh, I mean, for dessert. And I had been eating junk food throughout the day because I was just like stress eating to cope with COVID. And we were talking about something. He was sitting on the couch and, you know, I'm a gassy person. So I was like, I was in my head. I was like, this feels a little bit more than a fart, but I think I'm fine. Um, oh, rookie is, era, you trusted it, a fart. I took a gamble on a fart because I kept, I was behaving as though I was 25 when I'm Phoebe, 36. Phoebe, the house always wins. The house always wins. How could you gamble on a fart? Have you learned nothing from Ocean's Eleven? <laughs> that was the takeaway. Not, you know, no, yeah. Um, so I, um, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go for it. And then... As soon as it happened, I was like, oh, okay. I think that I shit myself. And it was like a loud, like, like, like it had bass in the fart. Like, so it, there was something was going on. And my, my boyfriend was like, are you, he he goes, did you, did you just shit yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Cause this, it sounded like this isn't just air passing through. Yeah. 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 And I was like, what? No. I did not. How dare you think I would shit myself? Um, (laughs) And so he goes back to watching TV and I like sort of just quickly like waddle to the bathroom and take this like shame shower and I de like shit myself. Um, And, you know, the moral of that essay is like, I'm not advocating you shit yourself in front of your partner, but you need to do something on that level that um, is kind of embarrassing it sort of bonds you in a way. So eventually I fessed up to the to shitting myself. And then cut to this year, I was uh I was in LA for work and I was FaceTiming with him and we we're talking. And he goes, You remember that thing you did where you like shit yourself? And I was like, Yeah, I was there. I remember shitting myself. And he goes, You know, today I shit myself. <laughs> and i was like see we're meant to be we both shit ourselves and you know we need to normalize it it happens it happens it happened to me way worse than it happened to you one time like seven years ago broad daylight all over the street um we don't need to get into that now uh but uh, like like bridesmaids you shit in the street i 
bridesmaid like santa monica oh, boulevard right no. by third street promenade on a saturday <gasps> outside a church uh which just felt <gasps> really extra wrong um and I, uh, I i don't know what had happened but i was extremely ill clearly and yeah. it happened out, came out of nowhere and then i had to like hide between like two cars so that no one would like video me <laughs> I knew it would go viral uh and I uh just sat there for two hours and no one would help me because it was fucking gross and I'd made a big mess uh and people were like running across the road away from me with their children and then eventually as the sun went down which thank god it happened at 5 p.m because it was November <laughs> in America um I had to strip off all my clothes and I ran back to my hotel naked apart from a bra because I didn't want my tits out I was fine with my vagina wow. being out and covered in in my own shit sorry no one asked for this I don't know how this happened this is because I'm too close to Phoebe (laughs) okay but no one else did this is I'm gonna have to trigger warning this episode now (laughs) Um, uh, but yeah I uh it was uh very very intense and I yeah had to and I think we need to we need to normalize it James and I are really weird about farting in front of each other we still haven't it's been seven years almost oh isn't that wild we are cracking off left. It, it is a firework display in our apartment. We are freely farting around <laughs> each other. Just <laughs> do great. it. How early, how early did you do it? Was it a so, choice? It was an accident. We were, we were, it, it was 2017. I love how I like remember the year. It was 2017. We went. <laughs> it was a cold winter's <laughs> night. <laughs> we, um. <laughs> He he! I was shooting this movie for Netflix called Ibiza and he flew out to surprise me. And then when it wrapped, he took me to London for my birthday because I'd never been to London. So it was very early on our courtship, maybe like two or three months. And we had this like, um, he took us like this nice restaurant. We had this like lovely meal and we were like coming back to our hotel room, just like chatting and, and, and changing clothes or whatever. And I just set out like a tiny like, like fart by accident and ever since then it's just the floodgates open the arsehole floodgates just opened james and i refer to it as uh i just need to go outside um onto the balcony to think about something (laughs) we refer to them as thoughts so we know that we we know that the other one's doing it but we'll never do it in front of each other it's like you can know about it but you can't see it so it's just like yeah i think one of my favorite things he said this one he was like you have to leave and I said why why do I have to go and he said because I'm worried that my thought is going to turn into a memory (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious I've never been more in love with someone than when he said that anyway let's stop talking about farting we're serious women uh, we're adults and it's all perfectly natural normal anyway This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're gonna get that hour 
where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Other than that... Generally, yes. you survived. Yeah, you yeah, survived. That you thrived. You're still good. One of the parts of your book that I found really fascinating to read, and I'd I'd wondered about it at the time, but didn't ask you about it because it felt like an incredibly inappropriate thing to ask, and would okay. have been. But you talk about quarantining as a black woman with your white partner mm, in the middle mm-hmm. of the like 2020. <laughs> At, at, uh, is it, uh, the term racial reckoning? Yeah. Would you find that appropriate to use? Yeah. But, you know, during the George Floyd and, and all of the protests and all of this kind of like sudden, you know, distressingly sudden awareness um, that everyone seemed to have, uh, you talked about that being challenging and being something that you didn't expect to be uh, testing for you. Yeah. I mean, it was just such a... to. To experience that while in a pandemic, when you're quarantining, it was just really tough. And, you know, we were having like the the, the NYPD, like police motorcade, like drive up and down our street. Like it was definitely just a very stressful time in New York where it was the the energy was not to have the citizens feel safe or, or comfortable. And so it was just like one of those things where you're just sort of like... He was very supportive and he knew that it was a very tough time and he knew it was a horrible thing um, to witness. But at the same time, he's also not black or African-American or whatever you want to call it. So it just was... You referred to him as patient zero in the book because he's he's... white and British and so like the epitome of the colonizer. (laughs) (laughs) He is... He laughs so much. So like he... This is how white he is. When we... 
white and British he is, is when I went to meet his family for the first time in the UK over the holidays, we fully spent like, like an afternoon watching Wallace and Gromit movies back to back, just like nonstop mm-hmm. Wallace and Gromit. I'm like, guys, this is very white and British, no? And they're like, isn't it lovely? I was like, yes, mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> but mm-hmm. he's very delightful. And he was so sweet. And it was just really tough to sort of um, have to deal with. But it was so I was so happy to have him by my side. And he knew that he would never fully understand this. What I was experiencing going through what all black people in America were going through at the time. And he didn't make me explain anything to him. He wasn't like trying to fix anything. He sort of resisted all the kind of like trappings of a white savior that I write about in the book and just sort of let it be. And then he talked to his friends and his family and didn't bring me into it. And he figured out ways that he could help. He wasn't like, what should I do? He just like went online and just like read articles and was donating to bail funds and yeah, yeah and just things. doing all that yeah. stuff and sort of like just let me be able to pro- try try to process what's going on yeah. um and I, that was so meaningful to me that he did that yeah yeah i uh, i totally understand still not having someone who understands as you say like in their marrow what your mm-hmm. experience is but i think of anyone you could have been um quarantining with who couldn't quite get there i think bake off is is uh, a a lovely salve at least he is he's such a gem and he's so smart and he's so funny and i don't know he's just a really good dude i wish i made more people like him he's really agreed really a great person well speaking of the white savior you talk about this quite explicitly in your book Mm -hmm. and uh you know we touched upon this a little bit uh the last time you were on this podcast but i would like to go into more depth about it and also the conversation isn't over and we're seeing that same behavior even if it's not happening just towards racial justice it's all it's also happening re- within like the trans conversation like every, every conversation this performative activism and so i uh i would love to talk to you about your feelings on that like what was the kind of moment that you reached boiling point with performative activism oh, I mean- was there a moment or was it just all of last summer it was just all of last summer and this sort of like, you know, some white people would be online and would just go, I can't, this, this is not the America I know. And I'm like, knock, knock, mm-hmm. bitch, where have you been? This has been America since like, you know, uh, colonizers got here. Like, this isn't surprising. And so the thing for me well, one of the many things, but one of the things that was really frustrating is sort of this new awakening of certain people kind of realizing what was that racism is a thing that exists in America um, and that black and brown people are affected and, you know, disproportionately because of racism um, and just deciding, well, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to I'm going to fix this. You guys just have it figured out. But I'm going to I read three chapters in Robert D'Angelo's White Fragility, and I'm going to fix this racism problem. And I'm just like, are you, do you not hear yourself? Do you not see yourself? Do you think putting a black box up on Instagram is changing things? Um, it's not. Um, the expectation that racism was supposed to be cured once they got involved, I saw a lot of, like I saw a lot of people 
once like defund the police became a movement. And then you see people online being like, I can't believe the police has not been defunded yet. And it's like, you thought it was going to be defunded in three weeks. You literally thought the police, which started out as slave patrols, was going to be defunded in three weeks because you decided to get involved and post some tweets. Just this sort of like complete lack of understanding. Naivete, yeah. Yeah, and just in, in refusal, refusal to believe that racism is so pervasive and affects every fabric of our society. It was just really hard to sort of deal with watching this performative allyship and people being like, support Black businesses. And I'm just always like, yeah, okay. I have a feeling you you guys aren't going to shop at any of these places next year. But okay, good for you. Good for you. You bought a sweatshirt one time in August. And so... what? Um, for anyone, for anyone like listening to this podcast, like maybe mm-hmm. they are a non-black person. They mm-hmm. are looking to be uh, helpful to the movement. Mm-hmm. They want to learn how to raise awareness, but mm-hmm. they also don't want to take up too much space. And I say this as someone who has taken up too much space before um, in another movement. Uh, how How is best to to help without treading into white savior territory? I mean, that's a great question. I think the one of the main thing is you sort of have to examine the intentionality behind your behavior. Are you, for instance, buying a sweatshirt from this Black-owned business so that you could post about it, in, in part, so you could post about it online as a symbol of, look at this good deed. I am a good person. I am not like the other people who don't get it. I get it. That is very front-facing um, and about the ego. Whereas, and a very simple thing to do. Like, it's it's easy to do that. It's easy to, uh, you know, throw up a black square on Instagram. But you have to really look around your life, um, your neighborhood, and see the ways in which you are consciously and subconsciously perpetuating these structures. And, you know... I think a lot about like gentrification. If every time you move somewhere and then a few years later, all the black and brown people and the financially insecure people that were once in this neighborhood are out and you're there enjoying your Trader Joe's and all your cute little mom and pop shops and everything, you have to look at like what you're moving into a neighborhood actually does. Um, Take a look at, What's being taught in your schools if you have kids? Like I went to, for college, I went to um, Pratt Institute in Brooklyn for four years, only had one teacher who was not white. And this was like 2002 in Brooklyn, New York. And sort of, and yes, obviously I wasn't a kid then, but just sort of taking notice of like, what books are you being taught to to read? Who are the teachers? Um, what restaurants do you go to? What, um, where do you shop for your clothes? Like all these sort of things, like where you patronize your business, who you, who are you talking to at work? Um, if there's if you are running a company and you have nobody of color in your C-suite or you never promote anybody of yeah. color to a position that is anything other than subordinate to you, 
you have to look at that. So there are a lot of sort of like everyday things that people can do, but that's not, it's not sexy, right? Like it's not something you could just sort of post a picture of on Instagram and get a lot no. of likes. And I do think, look, I do think if like, just to be fully realistic, I do think that even when the most, like as fucking frustrating as it is, even when the motivation is corrupt, there is still some value in the visibility that people can bring even if they're doing it from a virtue signaling place, it doesn't make it any less ugly or grotesque, but at least yeah. the convert, like there was some merit to the fact that for whatever motivation, everyone was talking about it in a way that then like no one could ignore. It was sad right, when it suddenly went changed. away. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say it's like, it suddenly went away when it wasn't trendy yeah. and imperative to discuss and then not a lot changed. Um, but I, I do think there's value, but you also have to really look at the fact that Phoebe saying is to back that shit up back up that tweet with actual affirmative like like not affirmative action that's not what I mean um with actual helpful change meaningful change look at who your senators are educate yourself about how systems can be overridden I think it's just about making sure that that, that it doesn't stop at the post and, right and also yeah it doesn't stop at the post I would also argue that it shouldn't start at the post Agreed. honestly social media should be the last step if you want to include it in the whatever your work is going to be just do shit without an audience without sort of being like look at me i'm great just do it because Mm -hmm. you give a shit because the the system is broken because this country is in need of dire help like that's where the motivation has to come from and i just think so many people are missing the plot on that and then there are also people who don't care. I, I mean, nothing has, re- honestly, nothing has really changed since last summer. Everyone so you feel like nothing. Out. You feel like nothing's changed? Not really. Like, I, I mean, I feel like the numbers are still abysmal in terms of employment. I feel like what brands have really done any sort of restructuring, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I, I don't see it. all these promises, all these like, I'm pledging a million dollars to this sort of mm. thing. Where Where is the money now? Where ha, How has it been distributed? Whose hands has it gone into it? I just, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to, be, I'm yeah, asking real questions. Yeah, I'm just like, I, I don't I don't know where this change has happened because I don't think it's happened in any way that has benefited black and brown lives, to be honest. Well, even at the Emmys, like it felt like we had more black people nominated, but still no black people winning in the big, big mm-hmm. categories. I think mm-hmm. RuPaul was one of the only people who won. Um, yeah, it was RuPaul and Michaela award. Cole. And oh, yeah. they constantly have black people host these events, but will never give them an award. I'm also like, I think we sort of have to move away from I don't mean we like as in you and I, but just like the, you mean in me. General. I got it. <laughs> hey, Jamila, this is about you. Mm-hmm. No, but yeah. I think we just sort of have to stop looking at these places like the Golden Globes and the Emmys and the Oscars to validate our work, to recognize our work. 100%. You know what I mean? And just either create your own award shows or just keep it moving and, and just do the work that you're proud of, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And I'm really glad that you write about it in your book and I'm really glad that you are saying this now because I do think that there is this sort of like general attitude of not we fixed it but mm-hmm. but the the moving up like what is it going to take for that conversation to come back into the mainstream like what horror what traumatizing terrifying horror is going to happen before people start talking about this again 
yeah. and meaningfully and then acting on that change 100%. Um, yeah, it was it was a really uh, striking part of this book. Another really striking part of this book was your honesty around children, which I loved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was uh, an extraordinary chapter that I uh, I have read to many, many friends since getting your manuscript. And I there's such a, a wealth of things to talk about with it. And uh, I almost, to the point where I almost don't know where to start. Generally, what is your, when did this stance occur regarding making that decision to not have children? Yeah, I mean, I think I've probably been voluntarily child free, like in terms of like, this is for sure what I want out of my life, probably like my early 30s. And then I think certainly six years ago, quite recent then. Yeah, it was quite recent. I think it, you know, I think in my late 20s, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just like freeze my eggs. I don't know. I don't know when I want to have kids, but like, I'll just do this out of insurance. And then in my 30s, I was just kind of like, you don't really want to have kids. So why are you going to go through this process and waste time and energy and money and just own the fact that you don't want to have kids and not do something to hide that or pretend like that's not your truth? Um Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bake Off has, he has known since he was a kid that he's never wanted to be a father, but he never really had any sort of, he was just like, yeah, I've always known I didn't want to have kids moving on. What do you want for dinner? Like it was never sort of the kind of internal struggle that it was for me. And I think for a lot of women, you know, he just. Yeah, I, I let out like a, an audible sigh, like of just like, oh, when I read that you asked him like, you were sitting, I think, like together in your apartment. You were like, would you be okay mm-hmm. if this was just it? If it was just us forever, just living like this? And he said, he said, you're more than enough to fill my life or something I along those know. lines. And he I was did. just like, oh my God, <laughs> that's such a lovely thing to say, a lovely thing to hear, yeah. uh, especially as a woman. Like it shouldn't feel like so much of a relief, but this feeling of mm-hmm. pressure is just fucking relentless. I've spoken about it before in this podcast. The podcast is probably starting to feel a bit like anti-baby propaganda, um, <laughs> but tough shit. At least it will combat the the 99% of your life in which you're hearing the messaging of like, do it, do it, do it. One of my mm-hmm. favorite things, will you just explain the way that it feels like Ticketmaster? Oh yeah. People are just <laughs> like, people are just like, you know what? You you better hurry up. The clock is ticking. You better have that kid. And sort of like when you're putting your concert tickets, like to get Dave Matthews band tickets or whatever in Ticketmaster. And there's like the clock down, the countdown clock. And then you're like, it's over. It's almost over. Like I'm running out of eggs. Like this is the thing where it's like, it's going to be a geriatric pregnancy. You're running low on eggs. Like, what are you going to do with your life and all this? And yes, I think it is true that making that decision is very important. You really need to be certain about it. But I think society likes to make women feel as though, the clock is running out from like the second you're 21, you better hurry up and have kids or your life or your womanhoodness is going to be over. And mm-hmm. in this essay, I'm really writing to the fact that like motherhood, otherhood, none of that defines you as a woman. It doesn't make you a better woman because you have kids otherhood. Does not make you a better woman because you don't have kids? There are women who for whatever those Wait, circumstances. Sorry. Yeah. Otherhood. Otherhood. otherhood is, 
genius I forgot about otherhood oh yeah yeah. sorry 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 as you were saying it just struck me again but it's just like one of those things where you know there are women who can't have children for whatever the circumstances are so does that mean their life is invalid you know what I mean does it and I think we have to really society when I say we society I mean we uh, when I say we I mean society has to really look at the way that they they sort of project expectations on women. And I think both women and men for sure have narrow sort of definitions of what they're supposed to be to live up to their, that particular label. But I think for women, it's very, it's very restricting and it creates this sort of sense of if I don't want to have children, does this mean that I'm broken? Mm Because everyone around me seems to want to have children but me. So something must be off about me. And I think that is... Yeah, I've been made to feel like a dead cold bitch because of it. Selfish. And the worst... You know what the funniest thing is that everyone lately, like everyone's really hammering it like home with me just all the time. Like, but you'd be such a great mother. And I'm like, I fucking know. That's the problem. (laughs) Like you're talking about someone else's joy and relief from my labor. Great. Mm-hmm. So I'd be a great mother. I would be a great caregiver to someone else. I don't really. And I. And by the way, like I totally see that there is joy in giving care. And I love mm-hmm. looking after my friends. I love giving care to my boyfriend or to, you know, like even with the Iway community, like I love being in service, but I also like personally being able to turn that service off sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was explaining that to a friend. It's like, he was like, you know, you're so maternal to your friends. I'm like, I know, but you're also all in your thirties and you fuck off and you go off and you have <laughs> relationships and you don't like litter, like need my tit, you know, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. don't need, you don't need all my time. I, I like, I'm not as worried that I'm a bit worried that like some of them are so reckless that they're going to die. But generally, I'm not worried about their safety all of the time in a way that I would be. Um, And so I don't like that as an argument. Don't say that to women. Oh, but you'd be such a good mother. So fucking so where's the fun? I didn't hear the fun in that for me. That's not what (laughs) I want. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I think we just have to, if, if a woman says that she does not want to have kids, that is pretty much the end of the discussion. It's not, it's not a cue for you to try and convince her that she should be a mother or has she really, have you really thought about it? Are you sure? Are you sure? It's like, yes, women who make this decision have thought about this long and hard. This is not gone mm-hmm. into haphazardly. And sort of the assumption that you don't want to be a mother because you haven't thought it through or you're avoiding being a, an adult. Again, I fully reject because- not everybody wants the same things. Not everybody wants to live their life in the same ways. And if you are of a certain age and you are working, you're going through all the traumas of just adulthood, you are an adult. It's not defined by whether or not you're a parent. A hundred percent. But also, I love what you said about Peter Pan not being like being compared to kind of Peter Pan with the whole Peter Pan syndrome with us mm-hmm. being considered not grown ups that you don't consider it shade. Elaborate, please. Yeah, I'm like, Peter Pan is great, okay? Peter Pan's tights never run. Peter Pan can fly. Peter Pan is having a good time. So I think that when women and men do, when people make the decision to not want to have kids, it's it's not because I'm like, oh, I don't want to be responsible. It's just like, I'm looking, I think everyone takes stock of their life 
and they go, this is what I feel I have the bandwidth for. And Mm -hmm. for some people, it's not kids. That's not a part of their bandwidth. That's just not what they, it could be like their career. It could be their philanthropic work. It could be spending time with family and friends. It could be them wanting to travel. It could be them wanting to like devote that time to hobbies and just doing things that bring them joy. Um, so what's your, what's your life baby? Oh, my life baby. I would say before uh, quarantine, it was probably traveling. I really enjoyed traveling the world for one for work. I really got the pleasure of doing that because of stand up. And then also for joy too, like going on vacations in different cities and eating different kinds of food and meeting different kinds of people and sort of, you know, getting my head out of my sort of American asshole a little bit and just (laughs) sort of seeing how the other world, like how the rest of the world lives and how they do things differently. That is spectacular and beautiful and amazing. And so that's probably the thing that is my life, baby. It's just being able to see the world. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. have a stronger work ethic than anyone else I'd know I mean it's just <laughs> true every time we talk you have a new huge all-encompassing like challenging project yeah on the boil I don't honestly I don't know like we it's one of the few places where we do not relate at all like, there's so many areas where I'm so with you until you're planning to like break a new ceiling with a new thing and your energy is just un unrelenting where does that where does that come from? Is it an is it an addiction? Are you a workaholic or are you just in love with it? Is it a combo of both? How can I be a bit more like you? Should well, I be a bit more like you? I think I should. Listen, mate, you are. I think you're downplaying yourself a little bit. You you're working. You're busting your little tail over here. You're not sitting on the sidelines, just like chilling with your cute bangs okay you're you have a work ethic so i <laughs> oh god thank I, you for being nice about my bangs <laughs> but the drag queen didn't really like them <laughs> i love the bangs they thought that they were stuck on <laughs> what oh no yeah, it's fine it's fine it does look that way sorry um <laughs> no, okay so uh, yeah thank you um no i know what you mean but i don't have I feel as though the social justice work I'm very, very driven for, but a lot of mm-hmm. the other stuff I'm like, I know I have to do this because if I do mm. this, it'll create more like money that I can pour into iWay or like social justice mm. or charity, or it will create like more of a platform or, a, you know, like a position of power for me that I can then extend to the people around me who deserve it more than me or who need it more than me or who need to be heard more than me. Like I'm, I'm very strategic in it, but I'm slightly more like... um 
exhausted and resent, resent, resentful. <laughs> Is that okay to just admit? Yeah. Be honest. Okay. Be honest about how you feel. Yeah. I'm like, I want to, I'd like to chill. I'd like to chill more, but I'm very, I'm very, I'm so like overwhelmed with pride at everything that you do and uh tiny reparations which is your publishing arm uh is just such an exciting thing that i uh i will talk to you about in a moment i feel like that's that's one of your babies as well yeah i mean i think uh i think certainly this is by the way sorry just a publishing arm where phoebe's making space for people of color for black writers like for people to break through who otherwise have gone ignored sometimes because yeah racism racism in publishing like um but yeah i to go back to your earlier question before i I, I jump on the imprint is i would say i'm probably a reformed workaholic um so i think i'm in a space now where i would like to have a little bit more balance a little bit more downtime and enjoy life a little bit more is um Mm -hmm. what my astrologist slash life coach said to me she was like i think you work very hard but i don't think you're having that much fun is it a model minority thing of like i have to take all these opportunities because i definitely had this in my early 20s Mm -hmm. where i was just like okay i'm one of the few south asians on television i have to take all these jobs otherwise they will be filled by another white person and so i you know and i want to keep making like breaking open doors so that others can come after like i like i have to do this and you're told that you have a you know a sprint not a marathon and blah 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 like this kind of like panic that gets set into our bones of like you got to get it while you can because it's only one allowed at a time and then you'll be you know then the the opportunity is over it took a really long time to 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 teach myself that the, the scarcity is a lie and that the abundance is the truth we just have to believe in that and go after it I love that I think for me I was in debt for so long and you know I started uh stand up when right before I turned 24 which is typically a little bit later usually people start in their late teens um that's terrifying (laughs) I know I mean that's really early to sort of start but like it truly takes about I don't know, 10, 11 years to get good at it. So it kind of makes sense that you want to start sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Um, And this industry is just so hard. I think it's really hard for you to break through as a woman. It's really hard to break through as a woman of color. And so you sort of feel like you have to really do a lot of work and a lot of heavy lifting to get people to buy into what you're doing. So having it take all that on and knowing that things are going to take a little bit longer just because of the way I look, I think it's sort of like put me in this headspace of like, I got to do this. I got to prove myself. I got to build this thing. I got to do. And I know it's going to take a lot of time. And I wasn't sort of taking the moment to be like, look at what you've done. Look at like, you know, the books that you've written or like two dope Queens. Like I think after Jess and I taped the last like two dope Queens thing and it came out in 2019, I was like, okay, I'm I'm off to like go figure out um a scripted half hour TV show for me to do. I was just going from to the next thing because I didn't want to lose momentum because it's so hard to get it. And yeah, I think when Whitney said that to me, not Whitney Cummings, but Whitney, my astrologist slash life coach, sort of just put the perspective in that like you can work hard, but you can also enjoy what you achieved and you don't have to barrel through on your to-do list because no one's no one's keeping score no one's keeping track of it 
can I ask you about having an astrologist slash life coach? Because mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. sounds that sounds like the kind of thing one only hears about in Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, is it a sort of therapy? So I don't I don't really know what that is. Like I, I've heard of it, but I don't really yeah. know how it works because it feels like it's kind of a bit like this is so ignorant. Sorry. But like parenting slash therapy. So I have a therapist and she's great. Got so it. Whitney, she, so I was, my publicist sees her and she was like, oh, I think this would just be fun to have her do a reading on you and your birth chart and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then when Whitney and I were sort of just talking and like really got on well together and I was just, you know, sort of telling her about work and stuff and she, we really try to just sort of tackle work and like sort of my mentality around work. Um, And so it's less like, tell me your feelings, but it's more like one of our earlier sessions, she was just like, when I say the words to you, two week vacation, she goes, just tell me what you think when I say that to you. And I go, impossible. And she was like, you think you're that necessary? That you can't Ooh. take any time off. And I was like, what? but you know, I have, I have these businesses. And she was like, do you think Oprah is not taking vacations? Do you think Mindy Kaling's not taking vacations? They have big companies. Your company's not as big as theirs. And they're able to take time off. So she was just like, well, what is this really about? So it's just sort of like having like those prompts and sort of like get me to sort of understand that I don't have to sort of you know, like I grew up like listening to people like, and this is going to date me because I, I I still call him Puff Daddy. I think he's like brother love now, but Puff Daddy, Diddy, whatever. <laughs> and he did this interview and he was like, while other people are sleeping, I'm in the studio working blah, blah, blah. So just sort of that mindset of like. Oh yeah, the I'm, grind, the hustle, all of these yeah. things. Get the bag. There was a, a, a million things. like, And I feel like minorities in particular were being told like, catch up, catch uh-huh. up. You've got to catch up. This is our moment. Yeah. And she was just like, you don't need to work this hard. You need to enjoy the stuff that you're doing. You need to process it. You need to learn from it. I really like her. I see her twice a month and she does a really good job of helping me sort of like break this conditioning that I had in terms of my relationship with work. So when someone is an astrologist, are they reading into your future or just more like your kind of personality traits based on like the time and location of where you were born? Yeah, it's it's not like she's not like a psychic or anything like that. So you're not like, maybe, should I have kids? Am I the type of personality you should have? Like, have you spoken yeah. about kids with her? Yeah, I just say, yeah, I don't want to have kids. And she's like, yeah, I don't want to have kids either. She's great. Um, oh, great. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But, the part of the book where you talked about not being able to imagine yourself like and bake off like doing what was it like? heads shoulders knees and toes to like yeah. beatboxing and 808 beat <laughs> yeah i'm just like I, I i can't imagine me doing that to get our kid to go to sleep so maybe i shouldn't be a mom so okay so uh another thing i would like to talk to you about is uh when you wrote about in the book I and mean, you kind of reference like astrology and having a life coach and having therapy mm-hmm. you talk about self-care is not a candle and therapy is not a notebook I yes. would like to go deeper in that because I do feel like you, as much as you put so much of your time and your energy, not only into your work, but into your relationship, I do feel as though like over the years of me knowing you even, I've seen a significant rise in your actual like attention to yourself. And I think it's really inspiring and good. Can you talk a bit about your feeling around this? What what made you even want to say it? 
Well, just I think, you know, I started therapy in quarantine and, you know, I always tell people I understand that I am lucky to be in a financial position where I can afford outside help mm-hmm. and that most people cannot afford that in this country. The healthcare system fails us in a lot of ways, which is why we rely on candles and bubble baths to help soothe us because we're not getting the actual help that we need. And so when I was writing this essay, I really was just sort of, you know, whenever you see talk about self-care, self-care online, you always see people quote Audre Lord and all that kind of stuff. And then mm-hmm. it's always ends up being tied to capitalism and, you know, it's like shilling pro- uh, products. And then when you dig deeper and you realize, you know, Audra and the Black Panthers were talking about self-care in terms of if you take care of the community, you are also taking care of yourself. If you help the people in your community have good health, then you're also taking care of yourself. It wasn't sort of like centered, like I, I, me, 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 I'm going to do this thing. And that's going to lead to me optimizing myself better. And that's going to lead to me being, to me being happier. And, you know, I think a lot of us are running around with like apps and notebooks and stuff. And we're still sort of feeling kind of, maybe a little lost, a little sad, a little still stressed out and overwhelmed. And so when I was writing about this stuff and sort of like, yes, I put my money into having a therapist and a life coach, but it's because I really needed to help with rewiring my brain in terms of taking care of myself. And I was just like, Mm. well, if I work harder, then I'm taking care of myself. And it's like, no, you're just burning yourself out and actually being self-destructive. It's also the capitalist lie of like, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll no, you'll be able to relax later. Just like get it all done now, and it's like later never comes because either yes. the goalposts move or yeah, the fucking inflation diminishes the value of the money that we did earn before, and so you just end up in this fucking loop, this this pointless loop of hell and exhaustion because you were just driven by the wrong conditioning. Yeah. And so, you know, now that I've been in therapy for a little over a year, I think, of course, I'm not saying like, I'm so cured and I have a perfectly healthy relationship to work. You know, I think that's always going to be a thing that I'm going to work on. And that's going to be sort of the big journey for my life, I think. Um, But I, I, what I wish is that politicians cared more about healthcare. Even if you look at schools, like sometimes like students are just written off as like problem childs or they're just, they're so bad and so combative. And so, you know, they're terrible instead of realizing, no, this is a cry for help or they need, they just need mm. some sort of guidance. That's not like, we just can't raise people like everyone's the same. You know what I mean? Some people need different tools to help them, reach their potential. And I think there's such, um, we're, I think society's not capable of seeing the complexity of people and just even seeing how the reaction was to Simone Biles when she stepped away during the Olympics and people were like, you're a quitter, you're this, you're so selfish. The blah, same blah. with Naomi Osaka. Yeah. yeah. And I think sort of this lack of understanding that because it's not a physical thing. Like when you see an arm is broken, you can go, oh, this person's hurting. But if someone's having mm-hmm. a mental health issue, you're just like, well, you look fine. Can I ask why it took you uh, till you were 32 to do it? 
to to go therapy. Yeah. Oh no, I started therapy a year ago. So I wish it was when I was thirty two. Um, when did I start? When am I uh, thirty five? No. Yeah. Oh wait, what am I talking about? I don't know why I was just like, oh, she's thirty three. For a moment, I'm, yes, yes, yes. So I been, am 33. You've been in the game for a minute. Yeah, no. Everyone <laughs> listening, I wait, am 33. Wait, 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 wait. Do you have age shit? Do you, wait, do you have no. age shit? I feel like we've never spoken about this. You don't have a problem with getting older, right? No, I remember when I started stand-up at around 24 and a, and a club owner in New York told me I should start lying about my age because 24 is pretty old for a woman. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, What? I was like, bitch, I still have acne. I I really <laughs> am not like this old bird. Um, I feel okay about aging. I mean, that's it's good if you get older, you know? So the where does the like uh, I wish I was thirty three come from? Just out of cure, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I'm just I'm just putting you on the spot. <laughs> I think like sort of the realizations that I'm having now, I'm like, oh, I wish I could have had them a little bit sooner. You know what I mean? Right. And so that sort of thing where it's like, but I think I wouldn't be the person I am now if I had them earlier. So it's okay. But it's just like, oh, when you know more, you're like, oh, I could have done that different. Or, you know, I just think about, I would miss weddings, baby showers, important family stuff. You know, I was just missing things because of my addiction to work. And that's where I'm like, oh, if I was 33, I would have prioritized this over like going to work. And that's the thing where I'm like, ah, I wish I was 33. Okay, good. I was just checking, just making sure because (laughs) I I want us all to feel as good as possible about getting older. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think regret is a real thing. And I think that it's healthy as long as it doesn't consume you. And I feel like you have a really good balance on that. I'm obsessed with getting older even though I've made so many mistakes. Like I made mistakes like yesterday. I made so many mistakes. I would love to go back and have a do-over and to some extent, but I just, fuck, I I love it. I've been like telling people I'm older than I am Mm. since I was like 10. Not just like in the way that kids like want to be seen as older. It's like, I've been like, when I was 25, I was like, I'm nearly 40. Yeah. In a way where I was trying to get people to, A, take me more seriously. I just like, I love everything it brings. I'm mm. loving learning more every year. I'm loving seeing the age start to show on my face. I'm loving being treated with more kind of, as though I have like some wisdom and something to give. I, I like less visibility. Does that mm. make sense? Mm-hmm, I'm enjoying, mm-hmm. especially as a public woman, I feel like there's less of an appetite for me as I get older and I find that like good and healthy and like I can find my own space rather than get swept up into the hysterical hemisphere of fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm enjoying not feeling constantly afraid and surprised as I was. I was just so surprised all the time because our generation had nothing on Gen Z. Like we weren't told shit about fuck. Like we weren't given mm-hmm. any warnings about anything. We didn't have the dialogue. We didn't have the tools. We didn't know how to identify anything. We were woefully gaslit out of all of our suspicions. And so uh, I I hated, I hated that time. I'm loving, mm-hmm. I'm loving, Br- bring on 40, bring on yes. 50. When I'm 80, I'm going to start doing heroin. You know, <laughs> it's like, I'm going to party up. I'm doing it all. That's it. I'm saving it for my 80s. I heard about this. Um, 
I heard about this place in Palm Springs where like people like 80 plus are just doing drugs off each other's naked bodies and just partying up. And I'm like, I want to go there. I want to do that. I don't want to do it young because like, you know, my health is already challenged as it is. So I don't, you know, and I'm also really clumsy, so I can't be off my face too often. But I've big fucking plans for my 70s and 80s like big plans like it's I've never been like the fun friend or the party friend at least not since mm-hmm. I was like 23 but you just watch this space I'm gonna wow. live it large I think yeah, we're gonna be gonna... completely opposites I know <laughs> it's fine it's fine it's fine we can just FaceTime each other and I'll have my tits out it'll be the best yes no teeth tits out the best <laughs> it's gonna get oh weird I'm still gonna have this haircut but it's gonna be pink like I'm yes. doing it all I'm just like every day I wake up I know that I'm one step closer to my old age utopia Ooh, I like that I like that for you. Um, Phoebe, you're so busy because you have 9,000 businesses. Uh, I want you to come back again sometime soon, but everyone should go out and buy. Please don't sit on my bed in your outside clothes. Can we just, can you just, I can't believe we went a whole podcast discussing it. Why did you call your book that? So, you know, my parents, that was like a hard and fast rule with them. They're very clean. They would clean the house every week, like mop, sweep, floor, you know, floor, mop the floor, sweep everything, wipe the baseboards, like just really dusting, like everything. And so for my brother and I, they were just like, the outside is funky and dirty and trifling. and You're not bringing that filth into our house. So strip mm-hmm. down after school and put on your PJs. Um, and so that's a thing that I really kept with me. I didn't realize it until I was in college and I got like my bedding from Target, you know, room essentials and all that stuff. And I didn't want Mm -hmm. anyone to sit on my bed. I was like, don't sit on my comforter. You were just on the New York subway. And so I was just like, okay, that's kind of funny. And I write a lot about my parents in here. So I thought this would be like a nice tip of the hat to them. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Um, it's such a funny book. It's such a great book. I love you. I hope everyone goes out to buy it. And uh, and thank you for continuing just to be such a great role model, not just for being able to use, like to kind of almost weaponize your humor to get through to people, <laughs> but also for your public growth is something that you and I speak about a lot. Uh, as friends is just not being afraid to do that growth in front of other people and have people kind of grow alongside you and not be pretentious about it. There's a lot of posturing on the internet. It drives us Mm -hmm. both mad. Uh, There's a lot of elitism. There's a lot of uh, peacocking going on. And I really appreciate having you as a friend and a comrade in the very small subsection of public figures who are willing to be vulnerable and say, oh shit, I didn't, I didn't know that. Now I do. Here's how I figured it out. If you also want to change, this is how. Yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Jam Jam. I miss you. You're always a delight to chat with. You're so funny and kind and sweet. So thank you for having I me back on the you. podcast. Be- before yeah. you go, and I know you've already done this before, but mm-hmm. I have to ask you, what do you weigh? You did it before last time, so you're going to have to come up with new oh, things. Oh, yes. Okay. What do I so, weigh? Yeah. I weigh my... <laughs> I'm 
Like, you see how I'm like dragging it out while I think. Um, <laughs> I, I weigh my um, ever growing book collection. I'm so proud of it. I, my goal is to be an old lady where my house is just literally covered in books. Um, built of books. Yeah, built of books. I'm just, you know, my hair is not done, but I got like every edition of like every Toni Morrison book. So I weigh my book collection. Um, I weigh my my growing ability to be compassionate. I weigh my newfound respect of my hair and myself. I weigh my ability to sort of admit when I'm wrong, which, you know, was not my strong suit when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I weigh my love for my friends and family and Bake Off. I weigh my obsession with you two. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I weigh my open my openness for the future and really sort of embracing that I don't know what's coming up next and being okay with that. I love you. And uh, mm-hmm. so do a lot of people. Thank you for coming on today. You're uh, a dream come true. You're a dream. I love you. Thanks for having me, boo. <laughs> love you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh the fact that I'm the cool, fun aunt from out of town and my nieces and nephews get so excited when I attend birthday parties and holidays. I weigh that my mom doesn't worry about my mental health anymore. I weigh that everyone around me comes to me for advice and validation. I weigh that I am secure in myself and I know who I am. And I weigh that I don't look at my sizes anymore when I buy clothes. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.